Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Hey, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We are piecing this all together with you. Randy, lots been going on. How have you been? Man, I think it's been a while since we recorded, hasn't it? I know. I know. So, think um, anybody missed us? <laughs> I do. I do. People have been, yeah, people have been asking. So uh, you moved during quarantine. Yeah, so we're all moved in in Yam Hill, Oregon now on our 10-acre, um, what will be a both uh, a sort of a farm and school and all under the auspices of the Ayla Hay Indigenous Center for Earth Justice. Um, we're, we got our last load from Maupin, yeah. and uh, we're out of that house, and we actually got our our, uh, we left in better shape than where we found it and got our deposit back. And we still have one load in the Dalles that we have to run a U-Haul and get out of the storage locker. But uh, after that, we're completely done. But we're kind of busy here in the meantime, uh, doing a lot of things and, and kind of trying to find the time to eventually go over and find get that final load. Oh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're moved in. We, we love it here. It's... Uh, this is our home, our forever home, and and we love the land. And uh, it gets a little scary sometimes. Like last night, the coyotes sounded like they were right out of our window, and uh, it's like a whole pack of coyotes, man. And and uh, and then we see deer almost every day in our yard, and um, we're having to protect our. Uh, uh, our fruit trees that we planted and we're going to have to put up a fence to protect our, our vegetables that we've planted already. And, and, uh, so lots of, lots of work happening. Um, Edith and I were actually able, and you know what this means because you helped us move in. Uh, we were actually to get able to get every single item except for the hot tub that was given to us. (laughs) Even the big, uh, weight machines and the couch and the, the chairs and all that stuff. Yeah. Youth and I did all that. Um, wow. not bad for a couple of old people, you know, uh, <laughs> but I had to actually hire somebody, a, a professional hot tub moving company to, to go get the hot tub. So my goodness, you know, when we had the moving party, uh, more than a year ago, we had quite a crew that moved all of that stuff. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that just the two of you. Yeah, well, we were we we were thinking like, okay, how did Bo get this thing out of here? Because <laughs> you, like our our big chair, you we we did it the way you did it, and that's yeah. how we were able to get it out. So, man, yeah, some of those bigger pieces of furniture, it's like a game of Tetris. You just gotta yeah. is it this way and that way and this way and yeah, yeah. that's funny. Uh, yeah, so you know, it was tiring. I think we made eight trips so far. <laughs> Wow. Um, over from Maupin to Yamhill, it's about for people who don't know, that's about the uh, four hours, three and a half to four hours. And uh, each way, um, yeah, it's pretty exhausting. And you know, we found out we we don't recover as fast as we used to as older people now. So yeah, you know, I don't have uh, that many. Uh, I would say yes or talents, but one of them is I can lift heavy things. Man, so can I- you? I love helping people move and it's been really weird in the last month and a half, two of my closest friends, you and my other friend, John have both moved 
and I haven't been able to help you. And that's been felt really sort of frustrating and uh, limiting. He uh, recently retired and they built a smaller house now that their kids are out of the house uh, to move into. And so they've been doing the, you know, the moving thing, but I've had to, you know, stay away from that uh, social distance. And it's just been really weird. Um, the sense of like internal agitation I have when you can't help your friends move. And it's one of the yeah. things that you feel like you can do and, uh, and to not be able to do that. It's been really frustrating, but I'm glad that you guys are in and I'm glad you're happy on your 10 acres. Yeah. And we, well, we just appreciate you all the more you and Andy Wade and, uh, you know, there's a, a number of folks that, that really, uh, really helped us move and, and, uh, uh, we really appreciate it. And so, um, uh, we're, we're, we're in and moving at a slower pace kind of helped us to sort of try to put things away as much as possible, yeah. um, before we get, go get the next load and, you know, um, so yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that. One other major sort of figure that helped us move. There's a lot of people that helped us move. Yeah. But 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 you and and the guys you brought with you, and, uh, uh, and and Andy and Andy actually packed up our our stuff that was in his barn. He he him and his sons loaded the trailer for us. So we just had to come get it. Um, but Luke Winslow also was a major, major help when we moved. And I just wanted to mention him too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's kind of hard when, to try and mention everybody. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. You had, uh, you had uh, like a dozen, a dozen people that helped that week. So, yeah. And it was also fast because we had to get everything out of there quickly. Mm -hmm. um, early on during COVID quarantine, you had seen a spike in seed sales because people were going to be uh, growing their own food as they spent more time at home. Has that continued? How, how's the seed company been doing? Yeah. So it's starting to wind down now. Okay. But um, you know, I think this year we've just been uh, up until this year, we were just sort of like, you know, we're just a mom and pop. We're kind of, we just finally got our new packaging this year and yeah. some other stuff because we were able to write a grant, a small grant for some of the oh. stuff that we needed. And, um, yeah, the normally, you know, um, we don't stay very busy. Let's just put it that way during seed season. <laughs> yeah. uh, we might get uh, two months, like uh, um, March and April, usually, where we get, I don't know, maybe 10 to 12 orders a month, something like that. Um, this year, I don't know what happened. Well, people are, I mean, I'm happy everybody's planting seeds, but. I'd say we got 10 times that amount. What? Yeah. Wow. And now we're getting about maybe one a week, but at, yeah. at one point we were getting probably five to six orders a week, maybe seven. That's fantastic. larger. Some of them were larger orders too. Well, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that people are, uh, are finding their way to, to ordering with you. And uh, that's really exciting. Yeah. And uh, and your professor gig, you guys all went online to finish out the school year. So, are you? Uh, do you get a little break this summer? Yeah. So I I uh, I'm already was teaching online, so uh, it wasn't a change for me. Uh, this summer I have two independent studies, and that's it. Uh, oh, good for you. Mm -hmm. 
And does that mean that you're writing more? It does. I'm, yeah. I'm busy on a number of projects. I've got uh, the Hayward Lecture Series, uh, Baker Academic um, publishes those, I think, or at least wants the option to publish those. So I'm, I'm rewriting the lectures into a booklet. Oh. Um, and that's fun. Uh, I'm also doing a contract with Wiffenstock for um, a project that I've been planning on doing for a while. Mission in the Cultural Other. Yeah. Uh, sort of a hopefully revolutionary new work in missiology. Um, I have a chapter in a book uh, with, uh, like, the editors are like uh, Peter Helsel and uh, um, Ed Fuller. Uh, uh, he wrote a book about his, uh, about disabilities. Um, oh, for some reason, his name is escaping me right now. Anyway, uh, editors um, and about Jesus, the Eagle. Uh, that's a chapter. And, uh, and then the, the other project that I'm really excited about is this one with uh, Broadleaf, which is a, a new imprint under Fortress. And that's uh, sort of a, like a kind of like uh, similar to the um, devotional that uh, I did for, for Lent. Uh, for Lent. Yeah. Only it, it's sort of a hundred day journey. Um, and, and yeah, and that's more written about, you know, uh-huh. about creation and not specifically designed for like church folks. It's really just for everybody. So that sounds fantastic. So those are my four projects and they're, wow. they're yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you always have something on each burner, however many burners you have on your stove, you have something on each burner. Yeah. That's the most I can do. I've, I've, um, I've, I've turned down more speaking and writing opportunities than I ever have in my life now. So oh, really, yeah. huh. so next, but there are a couple of things coming up. So, um, and the, the big one I want to mention is, uh, the June, I think it's the third week of June coming up. There's a Whitworth, uh, leadership or ministry summit yeah. and myself, Sun Chan Ra and, um, uh, oh, for some reason, names are slipping me today. Um, uh, he, he passed a quest up there in Seattle. Uh, uh, Chow. Yeah. Uh, Eugene, Eugene Cho. Yeah. Uh, are, are doing a, a thing um, with Whitworth, uh, and that's online. Uh, the Whitworth, I think it's called Ministry Summit or something like that. Cool. Um, and then... And then I'm teaching at Vancouver School of Theology for a week in their Aboriginal Studies program. Uh, and I'm, we're doing that online as well now, and that's in July. So Wonderful. Man, that's, that's exciting. You know, um, w- you and I uh, wrote a little book together, and it came out about the week before everybody <laughs> went into quarantine. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> so we haven't had a chance to do much promotion. Um, the the big theological society that you were going to talk at, uh, you ended up not going to that. And the Wesleyan uh, Theological Society, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Inhabit Conference was going to be our book launch party, and that ended up not happening. Yeah. So at some point when we all come out of hiding, you and I will have to do a book promotion tour. And uh, and but I am hearing from people who have ordered the book. 
uh, and have read it. And so that's been very affirming. Yeah, I've, I've been um, hearing from people too and, you know, getting some great comments like, you know, I wish I'd have read this 30 years ago and uh, wow. this is exactly what I needed right now. And, you know, so yeah, happy about that. I also wanted to say thank you to our Patreon supporters who have continued to support us during this uh, sort of unprecedented and, and um, unpredictable time. And we're really, really grateful for your supporting the podcast and uh, supporting us as we move forward in this. And so we just wanted to say thank you so much for your ongoing support and just how much we appreciate it. And um, we're looking forward to getting uh, podcasts out on a, on a regular basis again, now that things have sort of established themselves and we can get back into a routine. Yeah. And one of the things that we might want to say, since going back to promoting the book, we might actually want to say the name of the book. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, but yeah, the if people go to look on the Amazon or wherever they need to have a name to look under. And uh, so, so the, the name of the book is Decolonizing Evangelicalism. It's an 11.59 p.m. conversation. And I actually have grown to love that subtitle more and more as this weird political climate that we live in has gotten weirder and weirder because I think that the 11.59 is uh, becoming a more important part that uh, we are on the verge of something, a big shakeup. Um, and we're seeing, we're seeing the consequences of living on the edge of that clock striking midnight and the, this thing rolling over into a completely different animal. Yeah, I think we need to at some point um, probably do a program on uh, uh, maybe is it too late for evangelicalism or even is it too late for organized Christianity? Yeah, um, I'd be interested in talking about something like that. All right. Yeah, that's I definitely something we need to talk about, uh, especially after the stunt in the news this past week where uh, <laughs> the president of the United States <laughs> awkwardly held up a Bible in front of a church after clearing everybody out using uh, pepper bombs. And uh, boy, can I tell you something about that, Randy? I've actually been wanting to talk to you about this because I knew we were going to record this weekend. Here's a really interesting thing that's happened to me. Um, that is the first time ever I have seen something like that, like a political stunt or a really like a cynical, you know, something like that, that actually united the left and right yeah. religiously. So I obviously have lots of people in my life who are fairly conservative, both politically or religiously, who, and many of them take the Bible very, very seriously. And they were deeply offended by what happened. They're outraged, completely outraged. But the interesting thing was that I have lots of friends who are on the liberal progressive side who I actually don't read the Bible maybe ever or very much, they were equally as outraged. <laughs> and that intrigued me. So I think people have been getting frustrated with me this week because I've been saying to them, I, I need you to help me understand why you're so upset. You don't even read the Bible. Why did, why did that get you so irate? And I've been learning all sorts of interesting things uh, by asking that question 
um, which is that even for people who don't take, say, the Bible or they don't read the Bible, but there's something in our, whether it's our imagination or our, uh, our national consciousness or something, where we think that something should be sacred. Something shouldn't be used for stunts like that. And so it has offended some weird sensibility in them that something should be sacred. And they can't even sometimes uh, name why they're so upset. But honestly, I have not seen people boil over like this in a long time. Yeah, well, if you can get Pat Robertson and Bishop Curry on the same side together. Um, do you think that stunt backfired? Do you think he knew what he was going to unleash by doing that? In some ways, you have people like Franklin Graham, who's just a, he's just a, a operative for the Republican Party. That's all he really is. I mean, who, who still stood behind Trump. But I, I thought, uh, you know, if anything, I mean, I've always known this president to be an idiot, but this proves that he was just a complete buffoon, right? Yeah. I mean, it was uh, the word that comes to mind is buffoonish. Yeah. Alexandria Ocorcio, uh Cortez said it yeah. best. She said, it looked as though the Bible was burning his hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and if you watch that, you can look, it does. It just looks like he's like, I just don't know what to do, how to hold this. It's burning my hands, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I jokingly, I hadn't seen it at first. Somebody described it to me. Somebody texted me and said, you will not believe what just happened. Because they were watching East Coast News. They said, you won't believe what just happened. And they described it to me. And it almost sounded to me, uh, and I liked their description actually better than the picture, that um, it reminded me of like, you know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the higher you hold up uh, a relic, the more powerful it, right, it, it is. It's like this iconic sort of comic book uh, holding up a talisman or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, was, it was wild, man. But no, the thing, the thing that I've been learning is that even for people for whom the Bible isn't like a daily part of their life or like maybe part even – that part part of their uh, religious or spiritual sort of practice in a week that there was still something so offensive at the cynical nature of the the grandstanding and uh it was wild it was it's rare that my baptist friends and my united methodist friends are in agreement yeah he also has given new um sort of meaning to these words like you know, awkward buffoon and, you know, idiot. And, you know, and it makes me look back and, and, and by, when you look at the, the, the degree that he fills those phrases, you know, it makes me sorry that I ever said anything negative about George W. Bush. <laughs> well, he just didn't even come close to those filling those uh, definitions in the way that Donald J. Trump does. It is, that is amazing. I know people. Well, my apologies, uh, President Bush. To, to W. I know people who, like, not just despised W, but were, like, suspicious that he was possibly, like, an Antichrist character or something, who now would take him back in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. He was a human being, at least, you know? Yeah. You know? 
It's interesting that we've also heard from all four living presidents this one week and how presidential they sounded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's and, and and we've heard from pretty much all the heads and former heads of the military as well. So yeah, I think there's something happening. Oh man. Yeah. The um one of the things that I have really been wrestling with is um like for our online community, our church gatherings, is I, on one hand, I want to provide, and I, and I feel the same about our podcast. On one hand, I want to provide people a space to um, voice their concerns, to work things out together, to get things off their chest, to process together. You know, we might call it a co- collective discernment or something like that. Um you know, communal discernment, sort of working this through together. But there's another part of me that thinks we need to give people a break and talk about something else because there is such a fatigue, whether it's COVID or now a week or 10 days of protests, that there is a news fatigue that sets in. And so like, there's a part of me that's always second guessing myself thinking maybe we should talk about something else so that people can just get a break and, you know, catch their breath a little bit and that we don't contribute to this insanity of um, just the, the volume, the animosity, the, the confrontation, the argument. It is just an unprecedented for many of us who weren't around in 1968. It is just an unprecedented time of conflict. Yeah. OK, well, we can chit chat the rest of this this episode. Um, and then the next time we'll talk about white supremacy, which is, oh, is that right? okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't, I'm just saying that I wrestle with this. I can, I can make a case for each side, you know, now let's go ahead. Since we've, we've, we've already filled this one with so much catching up. Let's just make this our chit chat episode. All right. This is our and catching up. All right. Get their mind off of things for, uh, sorry about the, uh, the, the, the reference to, you know, who, yeah, uh, all ago, um, so, uh, you know, one of the things, a couple of things uh, for me as a farmer, yeah, planter, as I like to say, a planter, um, is that um, in the last several years, and we can talk about seeds in a minute, too, because so many people are buying them and planting them. But um, uh, in the last, oh, I don't know, five years, the, well, really almost since we've been here, 10 years, the weather has been crazy where we're at, right? So we get these mega dry summers and these really wet winters and and you know it actually this year has been it's a little colder than normal like nights are a little colder than what you want for plants uh you know you want to be in the 50s at least yeah. for for plants but and it's been in the high 40s and so sometimes the mid 40s but we're like we're getting rain right now it is just pouring right now but we're we're getting rain about two two days a week yeah all the way into June. This is pretty much unheard of here. I mean, maybe this is the way it used to be. So we're actually getting a pretty good year uh, when farmers don't have to water, you know, uh, and use those precious resources like uh, water um, very often. It's, that's just good for everybody. It's good for the land. It's good for us. So now, unfortunately, when you do dry land irrigation, those guys have their stuff set up on timers and they, it'll be pouring down rain and you see them out there, uh, you know, water just going out by the thousands of gallons, you know, 
anyway, but it's too bad that there's not regulations against that. But, but, uh, but anyway, for small farmers like me, this is, this has been wonderful. It's like, you know, I've only had to water a few times. Interesting. So a couple updates on my end that I think, uh, tie into that. So my, uh, my family situation, you know, when, um, daycares shut down because of the pandemic, uh, obviously my, um, my little nieces and nephews aren't going to preschool, but because their parents are working from home, I've been helping them out by, I, I jokingly have I said that I've opened a private daycare and so <laughs> I've, I've been helping them out. But, you know, when you have little kids that you're in charge of, you're very tied into the weather in a way that you're not if you don't have little kids who aren't at school. And so I have really noticed, obviously I've been keeping track of the forecast more than I ever have before, but this thing that you're talking about, that not only is the weather really unpredictable, but how wet it's been. Because when you can't go outside and play with your little ones, you got to come up with inside activities. Uh And so the weather becomes a really important thing. Oh yeah. 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 So my son-in-law who's very creative, um, uh, created a, a board game out of their house one day. Uh, so they were tired of playing board games. So they made their whole house a board game and put down, you know, you, you spin and then you step so many steps and each thing was sectioned off and they were thin, you know, so they made their whole house into a board game. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Um, Randy, I know that we're probably uh, running out of time as far as uh, we both have things uh, to do today, and we're going to record early next week about white supremacy. But can I tell you something I've been thinking about, and I just wanted to run past you, and this will sort of be a a, uh, coming attractions for why we're talking about white supremacy. So I have really noticed in the last year, and specifically in a pronounced way in the last 10 days with the protests and um, in the, the, the marches that many white people who previously would have thought that they weren't racist um, and that probably prided themselves on being racist. In fact, one of their biggest fears was being called racist have been awakened in a new way to the fact that if you can't say the phrase black lives matter, that you might be a part of the problem (laughs) and that the intensity of our racial divisions. um, And and in this case, the the arena happens to be in the area of, of police brutality and accountability, but that our racial divide has really exposed And I've seen, I would say, good-hearted white people who have not done their work of their own whiteness, dealing with their own whiteness, have all of a sudden woken up to the fact that they have been, the train has left the station and they have been left behind and they don't have a safe place to talk about these things that they've recently become awakened to. Right. And um, so one of the things I figured out is that if we're going to, and by by we, I mean white people, are going to be good allies 
going forward in this national conversation and now global conversation that's going to happen, somebody is going to have to circle back around and have a lifeboat for the late adopters Mm. on issues of race and whiteness. Right. So here's my analogy I've been using. There is a deep divide, as we know, everything is polarized in this country. We know that. But what I'm figuring out is that on the woke side of the street, people are yelling things like silence is violence. And or people white on, silence is white violence. Yes. <laughs> and it. then people on the non-woke side of the street are saying, what the hell is going on? I'm, I didn't say anything. I'm getting trouble for not saying anything. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything at all. And now that's a problem. And so the divide is actually getting more pronounced and the polarization is getting more animated. And so for me to try and be a bridge builder in this time is um, something that I am sort of feeling called to, which is to circle back around and try and provide us a, a lifeboat, a, a, a floating lifeboat for those who um, are, are feel like they're drowning in a conversation they don't even understand some of the vocabulary words. Good. Well, maybe we can sort of highlight that next week. Then. Okay. And um, yeah, and, and talk about that. I I have lots to say, but I don't want to say it now. I'll save it. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in. We are excited about uh, this next uh, season of conversations coming up, and we hope that you will join in. Make sure to go to our, we've picked up lots of new followers on Facebook and lots of new listeners who are um, looking for different conversations and uh, people have gotten really into podcasts. Speaking of late adopters, some people have come to podcasts recently so we've actually picked up lots of new Facebook fans and lots of new listeners on uh, the website. So if you think that you have friends who would benefit from this conversation going forward, please share it with them. We are hoping to host, uh, we call it a journey space. And so we're hoping to go on a journey together and to be a part of the solution and not to be a part of the problem. Yeah. I would say we're actually on a journey together. Uh-huh. Each, each time we come on, it's a journey that we invite you to take with us. And then we give you opportunity for feedback and participation along the way. So, uh, so yeah, that, I, that's why I like that, uh, the journey. Well said. All right. We will see you early next week when we talk about white supremacy. All right. Peace out, everyone.